Welcome to Fire Headlines, where we discuss the hottest fire news to hit within the last two weeks. I'm your host, Inanna Hankey, and I'm joined today by the panel, Chief Bob Horton and Chief Jeff Buchanan. And we are thrilled to welcome back special guest, Dr. Andrew Holter. Thank you for having me. Dr. Andrew Holter is an organizational psychologist and principal consultant for FR Strategies. If you're interested in learning more about Andrew and his work, you can visit him at fr-strategies.com. It's good to have you back. Thank you so much. Our topic today is fire department pregnancy policies in response to an event where two South King firefighters both gave birth within a week of each other in February of 2023. South King Fire's original birth policy was geared toward male firefighters and fathers, but the joint births prompted a new policy to be adopted. And what I loved most about this article is the way that they approached creating that new policy, and that was by asking all of their female staff members across the organization what they thought and to have them lead the process. I feel like not only is this creating a policy that I imagine feels genuinely supportive for those who have the potential to be affected by it, but what a genius way to create organizational buy-in, if you ask me. Jeff, what were your thoughts about it? I have to stipulate, I, I, I recognize maybe I'm not the best person to be talking about this, but I will say that having been a fire chief and in leadership roles, specifically in the fire service, there is a struggle with getting a more diverse workforce. And what this article does for me is it exacerbates that we are in 2023, but we're still mightily struggling with diversity, equity, and inclusion. And most fire departments across the country are, are trying to figure out ways to make their workforce better reflect their communities. And, um, you know, finding more women that are interested and that feel welcome in the fire department is just such a struggle. That being said, I applaud the approach too. I love that. I mean, giving everybody a say, I don't know the size of the organization, but I think that it is extremely admirable. And what better to exemplify inclusiveness, including everybody, including all women to to, to have a say, and I, and I love it. But there was something really, really that stuck out in the article that um, really resonated with me personally. And that was the quote from Weed, who said, I didn't want to be treated differently at work or on calls or anything like that. So here we have a woman in the fire service who's pregnant and she's worried about being treated differently. That's a ton of pressure. I'll never know what that feels like, but I, I, I can't imagine. But what it does is it puts women into this space where, wait a second, this is a, a federal right across the country, and here she's second-guessing it because she doesn't want to feel like she's getting an extra benefit. And to me, that's surprising. Let me give you a quick example that happened um, to me some years ago. I was in a leadership program, Fire Service Executive Development Institute. 
And um, I had an epiphany and I was extremely embarrassed. And that was one of the colleagues in the class who is an outstanding human being. And she was talking about clothing for women in the fire service and how in many agencies, women are forced to wear men's clothes because the manufacturers aren't making it making them for women. You could have pushed me over with a feather because I was so embarrassed. And I don't know if it's about getting older. I like the way my clothes fit. You want to have something that fits well. It, it helps with confidence and being sure of yourself. And immediately I was embarrassed that I never thought about it. I ran back to my agency and talked to two key decision makers that were both women. And first of all, I fell on the sword and I said, I'm sorry. I can't believe I've been such a schmo. And I, I didn't realize this, right? I, I, I just felt awful. But then I said, okay, we have to change this. We had some ideas and they both said something similar. We're good. We don't want to do anything different. We don't want to look like we're getting something more. And I'm like, it just, it just really struck with me. And so I look at this policy and I say, okay, great. They're making, they're making forward progress. But at the same time, we have women that feel like they have to justify some of these things that most of us can sometimes take for granted. Number one, I was there when Jeff had that epiphany and you could push him over with a feather. Number two, it may not be old age, Jeff. It may just be the fact that you can afford clothes that fit you now. <laughs> so maybe you put higher priority on that. I don't want to make light of what it is that Jeff said. This is a real issue. I've heard the same thing Jeff uh, has in my career we want to just be treated the same. And the way we're handling that, you know, hasn't been right in the past. So it's time to do something better in the future. And I, and I can appreciate the perspective that these employees and that are, that are folks in the fire stations feel uh, that's a culture problem. And, and I hope Andrew is going to address uh, how we tackle this as a fire service. If you are a leader in your organization and you have influence, stop whatever it is you're doing and implement policy regarding pregnancy right now. Right, right now, whatever it is you're doing, it cannot be any more important than solving this issue for the reasons Jeff described and many, many others. There is model policy out there that you can cut and paste and put your agency's heading on it. Uh, do not wait until you have a pregnancy in your organization uh, before you decide that this is this is something that you want to tackle. So that's my call to action. I'll, and on, I want to defer my time to, to Andrew and hear his perspective. Absolutely. And just if anyone does need a model policy, the one that they took for this particular article was based on the Renton Regional Fire Authority's policy. So that's what they ran with. But Andrew, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so there's definitely a lot to um, unpack uh, around this issue, uh, which you all have alluded to uh, already. One of the things that stuck out to me in the article was that um, the one individual said, I was super anxious to let anyone know that I was pregnant. That's not good enough. That's not an inclusive organization. That's not a trusting organizational setup. And uh, she immediately goes on to say that she did tell them and she they, everybody was very supportive. And so she wished she would have known that ahead of time that it was gonna be great. <laughs> but it should be our goal to have inclusive organizations where people trust each other enough to bring these things forward right out of the gate hey, this is happening, I, I want to make you aware of it and so that we can plan together, you know, and I can let you know what's gonna be best for me as I go through this process. 
to, to Jeff's point, it's 2023. The fact that we have uh, female firefighters that are concerned about sharing information or probably even uh, females who are concerned about taking the job or that are just coming into the job and kind of finding out as they're here, you know, they're in year two and they're learning the policies and they're like, wait a minute, I have to do what? Well, I don't have enough sick time uh, if that happens. Uh, th those are things we have got to correct from a policy perspective and from a culture perspective. It is way past time. Something that hadn't occurred to me, just as someone who's never been pregnant or had a very physical job, was being able to decide what types of activities are still appropriate for you. And, you know, this ties into a national discussion, really, about bodily autonomy and being able to decide for yourself what's healthy and or, you know, between you and your doctor and being able to make that call for what kinds of tasks you're able to complete and what is really going to support you the best. Um, and also just building an environment, a policy environment, a cultural environment that supports people making decisions for themselves and what's right for them. I commend them for for doing that. And it sounds like they were supported ultimately. And there was a little point in there that it did make me cringe when I read it, where they talked about how, yes, everyone was very supportive. They gave me everything I needed. And a lot of other people expressed a lot of concern for the safety of the unborn child and like, yes, that's nice. But at the same time, <laughs> I know that, that would make me feel very uncomfortable if someone was like questioning if I was going to be able to do something. So for sure. Yeah. And, and I think that that comes down to the policy's intent is to leave that up to the individual firefighter uh, and their medical provider. And and that's it. Those are the people involved in that conversation. And they kind of get to to inform the fire department, hey, uh, this is the stage that we're at and everything's okay. Or, you know, but likely when we get to here, uh, it's not going to be and we might need to transition to something different. So we know that women are still a very small minority in the fire service. And thankfully, those numbers are increasing. And I guess I'm wondering your perspective, Andrew, about just because somebody is in a minority, that doesn't mean that the special or individualized concerns that are going to help them perform on the job aren't important, just because there are fewer of them, you know, in the case of women and, you know, the special health concerns that they face. What are your thoughts about not just for women, but all minorities, if there is a lack of data to support policies just because it's new? Um, how can the fire service be more proactive in addressing concerns for folks that are not as well represented overall? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and in this case, you know, how they handled it by having what stakeholders they did have get involved and talk about it and inform them. I mean, that's the best. That's the best way to do it is to ask. We had some periods of civil unrest that our department and our city uh, dealt with a few years ago. And that was the answer was to just ask the firefighters that were in the minority who may have felt differently about the situation to help inform us of how they how it was making them feel what was going on and how we could best support them and be inclusive of them um, so that we weren't missing something. We didn't have something in our blind spot, um, you know, what to, to whatever degree. So uh, that would be I mean, that would be my recommendation. If you're actively working at being inclusive, you'll know it. <laughs> you'll know it because it takes effort. It's not something that just naturally occurs inside of an organization. 
I want to add a point in on it to exactly what you just described. And it's, it's not necessarily on this particular policy, but uh, tangentially related, you know, presumptive cancers. And for our listeners that don't know, there are many States that have laws that if you uh, contract a certain disease or cancers, uh, it's automatically pre- presumed to be part of your job as a as a firefighter. And and what we start to see in emergence is there were many cancers in, in a lot of states that were covered for men, particularly uh, cancers and reproductive organs for men was covered in these presumptive laws, not for women. And and what we saw in opposition groups, those who are opposed to the adding of female reproductive organs to the bill was a lack of available science to support the claim. Right. And, and, and from a statistically significant standpoint, from a pure uh, science research perspective, they're not wrong. Right. But, you know, the, uh, you know, with 4% of firefighters, women were not going to reach a statistically significant sample because there haven't been enough women in the fire service who've contracted cancer for us to be able to produce evidence to, to suggest that there's a causal linkage. It's good enough for me, right, to take the the reach to say if male reproductive organs have a link, have a causal linkage to the career of of having been a firefighter, that female reproductive organs should as as well. And uh, so I, I I think that you know, we we need to as an industry take a little bit of liberties because of the absence of a statistically significant sample in the minority groups as it relates to these policies to do what, you know, essentially is intuitive in my mind and, or, or I would bucket it even as in, in com- as common sense. I'm just going to put a big amen on that, Bob. I, I think that what you say is uh, emphatic. It makes all, all the sense in the world. And even still that organizations struggle with it. And, and I, I'm not going to claim to be an expert and uh, Dr. Holter, um, really hoping that you have some perspectives and maybe share with the audience that could be listening on how to create this environment. But to me, this sounds like in order to tackle some of these thorny problems that are out there for fire organizations and all organizations, you need to build an ecosystem where there's psychological safety, where there is a, a place of comfort where you can put policy forward that might be non-traditional. It may go against the grain. It may be, you know, it may get pushback. And and um, how do you create that environment? It seems simple, but it's not easy. How do you tackle that, Doctor? That's the million-dollar question, or however many dollars companies and organizations are paying consultants to come in and help them create that. Unfortunately, for some of us. Uh, it occurs, it does occur a little bit easier than others, but it's extremely uncommon. Even when everyone's on the same page and wants the, the same things and are pretty united, people naturally just have a avoidance of that that shame that comes along with maybe sharing something or going out on a limb or taking a risk. Uh, and they don't want to fail and they don't want to be exposed. And so uh, when you talk about psychological safety, I mean, that's really in part what it is, is that ability to have vulnerability-based trust with your the people on your team or within your organization to say, you know, hey, I, today is not a good day for me. You know, I'm struggling with some things uh, mental health-wise. And, um, you know, so if I am if I seem a little reclu- reclusive, guys, like, hey, that's that's what's going on. That's an extremely powerful tool if folks are having those kind of conversations with each other. Um, 
and it, it does take work to get to that point. Um, you know, and, and some, some of the fun things I get to do here in, in my fire department are help work on those types of projects uh, and build assessments so that we can, we can take a baseline measurement of something like a construct, like psychological safety, and then try to do some different controls and programs and things in place to help build a more uh, psychologically safe and trusting environment. And then we can repeat that assessment and see if we're actually having an impact on it. Um, but assessments are great and they're good for measuring, but I definitely think those things are tangible too. You'll know uh, when your team is getting it. Uh, and it's, I don't know, it's like probably like watching your kid hit a home run or, uh, or something like that. It, it's, it's kind of, it's like the pinnacle moment for, for me is when you see, you know, maybe the junior person on the team stand up and take the, be the only counterpoint in the room and offer a completely opposing opinion to everybody else and say, this is how I feel. Uh, and in that moment, you know, we have, we have safety here because I, I just watched somebody who, you know, shouldn't have that kind of power at the table, stand up and make their, make a, make a statement. Uh, and that's, that's a beautiful thing for a team to have that uh, and to be able to do that. Andrew, do you think that in a, a paramilitary organization, like the fire department where hierarchy is everything, is it harder to get the person you described in the room to actually bring their voice to the table? Do you think there's an extra added difficulty in paramilitary organizations? And if you do, what would be some advice to try to break that down? I would say in general, yes, um, that the natural structure, of, especially like the fire department, um, you know, I, we talk about it here all the time. You know, when I came up, I had a very, uh, very old school mentality in our firehouse. And so like, I didn't even make eye contact with the captain, um, <laughs> kind of thing. I would talk to the engineer, maybe, uh, if I had a question about something uh, and that went on for a couple of years. So, <laughs> so I, I, I definitely understand that. And I think that, um, you know, it, for me, it starts at the top of the organization and works its way down. But if you if if you get it right, your company officers, those captains and, and lieutenants can absolutely have that kind of environment in the firehouse and and balance it with look on the fire ground is not the time for us to have a conversation about the inch and three quarter or a two and a half on <laughs> on this situation. I just need you to do what I asked. Um, but when we get back, we can certainly have a conversation about why I made that decision and why I thought it was the right decision. Any closing thoughts before we wrap up this topic? I, I do just have one thing I have, I, I have to throw out there on the pregnancy thing. It is things like these that are keeping people out of the fire service, without a doubt. And it's, and it's driving people to look for alternatives when they get into the fire service and think that they don't have a reasonable option for starting a family or whatever the case is. As we try to become more inclusive and as our workforce changes and and we look for we look for people and places maybe we didn't look before, these are things that we have got to consider and we have got to make people feel uh, like they are at in a safe place when they come to work for us. 
I would add and go so far to say as well that a lack of support around pregnancy might have the other effect where people are not starting families because they feel like they have to choose between their career or being a supportive parent and having the time to stay home and really nurture their child. So it's kind of a double-edged sword <laughs> in that regard. Absolutely. And um, e even in this case, I think the policy is a great uh, forward step. Um, the fact that it's referred to in the article as a temporarily disabled employee, that it's similar to that, that is something that we, we can't do. <laughs> we, we, it, is a, it is somebody getting pregnant. They are not temporarily disabled. So even that language, I think it takes us, a, a, it's going to take us a minute to kind of realize and develop that awareness around how we frame things, um, you know, even comparing in this case, one policy to another one that was similar in the city. Well, I'm going to give an amen to that. Absolutely. Bob and Jeff, thank you. And thank you to Dr. Holter for joining us once again and sharing your expertise. If you want to ask any questions about our podcast, you can contact us at fireheadlines at wfca.com. If you have a question, if you have insights, we would love to hear from you. Bob, Jeff, it's always a pleasure. Thank you both so much. And thank you to our listeners. And we'll catch you all next week for more Fire Headlines.